Hello, and welcome to another engaging episode of Cyber Speaks Live, the InfoSec podcast recorded in front of a live online audience, giving you, the community, a voice that can be heard around the world. And now it's time for your host, Duncan McAllen. Hello, everyone. My name is Duncan Macklin. I am Infosec War on Twitter, and this is another episode of Cyber Speaks Alive. This is a weekly podcast series dedicated to the topic of cybersecurity, and each week I invite on an industry leader to come sit down and have a conversation with us collectively, being able to give you an opportunity to engage with our guest presenter, ask your questions of them, and really the whole purpose of this is to be able to give you guys a voice that can be heard around the world. Now, tonight I would like to thank our sponsor, Avanti, who are the makers of the industry-leading and enterprise ready patch management solution for Microsoft's System Center Configuration Manager product. If you're interested in learning more about them, visit Avanti.com. That's I-V-A-N-T-I.com. With that being said, uh, yesterday was another big day for patching. Speaking of Avanti and patching and everything else, an odd one. This week, Adobe did not have a Flash Player update. What is going on there? Maybe Adobe's finally starting to get everything right there. But, you know, talking about patch management and who our guest is this week, I have to kind of give you guys a flashback of how Patch Tuesday really came to exist. And ultimately, this whole concept and with other vendors in the industry playing into Patch Tuesday, you know, it all started with the Trustworthy Computing Initiative. And for those of you that may not go back that far in the industry, this was about 2002 when Microsoft had been getting beat up pretty hard in regards to cybersecurity, had a lot of vulnerabilities in some of their products, including SQL Server and Windows Server, et cetera, that were really biting a lot of the customers quite hard in the arse. And as a result, Bill Gates kind of dropped the, the hammer and said enough is enough and put basically a code freeze on for several months inside of Microsoft. And it was basically time to just go back, review code and start with the security mindset moving forward. And part of that ended up becoming the result of our patch Tuesday on that following year. So, you know, here we are some 16 years later, and this has really become a normal facet in our life. And we continue to see how Microsoft along the years 
has evolved into a much more security focused organization, not just from how they're coding and developing products and releasing updates when there are bugs or known vulnerabilities, zero days, what have you, but really how they're also helping protect their customers and us as individuals, you know, consumers using their products. And that's why I want to bring Anne onto the show today to be able to talk with us at greater detail about what exactly Microsoft is doing on a global scale to be able to help protect and defend organizations against today's threats. So let me just explain who our guest is. So joining us this evening is Ann Johnson, who is the Corporate Vice President of the Enterprise Cybersecurity Group, whose main mission is essentially to accelerate customers' digital transformations uh, with trusted solutions and expertise to build the secure, modern enterprise. She also leads the global security incident response practice for Microsoft customers. Now, before Anne joined Microsoft, beginning her 30-year career at EMC, she later joined um, RSA, where she spent the next 14 years and rose to the rank of global vice president. Now, from there, Anne went on to Qualys, where she was the company's president and CEO, helping customers with their cloud security and compliance solutions. After that, she joined Boundless, which was or is an open source geospatial software and services company. And then, of course, left there and joined Microsoft a few years back. Tonight, she's joining us live here on Cyberspeaks Live. So with that, no further ado, allow me to introduce Ann Johnson. And thank you for coming on. How are you doing? Duncan, thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. I know we've been trying to get this together for um, since the beginning of the podcast. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the next, you know, 40 minutes or so that we have together. Absolutely. And thank you so much. And yeah, it has been an interesting journey trying to get to this point. But once again, thank you for coming on. Uh, one of the things that I do like to do with each of our guests is just kind of get to know you a little bit better and have a little fun here. So can you tell us maybe something about yourself that the audience may not otherwise know about Ann Johnson? Oh, well, let's see. I maintain a fairly public profile. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm not, um, <laughs> there's a lot that's known, but I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the interesting factoid. I actually attended college on a speech and debate scholarship because I was a national champion in both high school and in college which people, you know, say, what? And I'll tell them, I said, well, I was literally recruited, much like you would recruit an athlete to um, go to a college that had a world-class program. And that's something that people find fascinating. So I'm in serious trouble is what you're telling me here. Is that right? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't try to debate you on anything. Uh, I'll <laughs> leave it at that, you win. So I talked earlier about, you know, how basically, I'm going to be blunt. Microsoft was just the whipping boy when it came to security. They were the black sheep of the industry, you know, 16, 17 years ago when we had SQL Slammer and, and you know, Melissa and all the other ones that were just beating you guys up back then. But today, to look at you guys, it, it, it's like a complete 180. And you guys are now 
leading the industry in so many different areas of cybersecurity. And I'm not just talking about Gartner and Forrester and those. I mean, in public opinion, you have just risen through the ranks. Can you kind of tell me how this transformation took place and why it is that Microsoft is where they're at when it comes to global cybersecurity today? Yeah, I think it's an interesting transformation, right? Because I started in security in 2000. I started with a company called RSA Security um, then. And I remember, you know, the Microsoft of that era was a very different company. And Bill Gates, you know, introduced trustworthy computing and wrote a memo about secure software development life cycles in 2002. And Microsoft's really been on a journey um, since that period of time to both improve the quality of software that came into market, improve all of the processes around the software, but also build security technology controls across the entirety of the Microsoft estate and platform for our customers, whether it's you know, on-premise servers or the Windows 10 endpoint or you know, the Azure environment, the Office 365 environment or our business apps. You know, we have a lot of um, native security controls and it's really focused, right? I remember when I was joining, um, I started talking to Microsoft, it's been just about four years ago, and I started the conversation, and at first I really had a lot of concern, right? I, you know, I looked at the company for several years, and I said, well, gee, you know, Microsoft doesn't have a great reputation in security, and the leadership at the time said, look, we have a lot of investment from humans, and, you know, right now we have 3,500 security engineers, and we make, we, we're investing a lot of money, it's over a billion dollars in spend now on you know our customer security right and we really need to make certain that everyone understands that so from a you know from a customer standpoint our partners understand our capabilities and that we're actually telling them what what is natively built into their software and helping them be successful with, with it and that really was the mission that you know i accepted when i came on board and it's been a great journey because it's real the investment is there incredibly talented people, right? Just, I, I, I am really thrilled every day with the quality of the people I, I, I am able to work with. And we do have a customer obsession, you know, related to all of our solutions, but particularly related to security and making sure that we're helping customers, you know, as we, they go on their journey to change their business, we're giving them the confidence they can do it securely. So it, it's a lot of focus, it's a lot of investment, and it's a lot of having, you know, the right talent, right? And, and truly listening yeah. to our customers and understanding what they need. Absolutely. So just listening to you, I'm thinking time frame and where we're at right now and what that journey looks like. So you guys are kicking off a new fiscal. I know just from having been a partner with Microsoft for two plus decades now, uh, that typically comes with a charge for the new fiscal year. What can we expect? What is the theme that Microsoft is focused on in this coming year? And what are some of the things around cybersecurity that tie into your direction? So Microsoft is focused really on our customer success. And that's, you know, Sadia has done a lot. And I've only been here during the Sadia era, but he's done so much to really transform the company as a whole and become a very customer-obsessed organization. And it shows up in everything that we do. If you think about the cybersecurity space specifically, 
we want to focus this year on security, but we also want to focus equally on compliance and on identity solutions for our customers. And you'll see us talking a lot about those three things as equal peers to keeping our customers safe, right, as they transact. And really, you'll see us do a lot of work with rounding out any white space that we feel we have in our product solution areas, um, because our objective always is to really provide our customers a safe and secure platform to do their business on, whether that's on-premise or in the cloud. And we wanna make sure we do as much, and we wanna make it as easy as possible for them because we know that folks can't hire enough people, right? So we wanna really make security solutions very easy for them too. And, and speaking of ease, there, there's this whole theme that seems to be coming from Redmond here lately, and it's around, password management, right? And trying to simplify that process, but also improve the security posture of the organizations at the same time and ensure, you know, that the, the number one method of successful cyber attacks, of course, is compromised credentials. I, I think the most recent report showed 81% of all successful uh, cybersecurity attacks are the result of compromised usernames and passwords. Now, you guys just today made a massive announcement about support for FIDO2 with Azure AD uh, joined devices and passwordless authentication, right? Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So you've heard me say, and you've heard our CISO, Brad Arsenault, say very publicly that we are on a mission to be passwordless, not just internally on Microsoft, but for our customers. And it's for the reason you state. When you have, you know, password-related attacks, whether it's brute force or password sprays or whatever you're doing, and phishing attacks alone account for over 60% of breaches that we see, the one thing we have to remove in that cycle is passwords. We just have to remove them. And as you, I mentioned to you, I was at RSA for a long time, right? That was always one of our objectives, you know, getting people on tokens. Tokens had a lot of friction though, right? People had to carry them, they had to remember them, they were a second device, they expired. So there was a lot of friction. What we're trying to do is, again, simplification, take out the friction, be as heterogeneous as we can so we can support those FIDO2 standards and those YubiKeys and other devices so customers can use what they're accustomed to and still drive that password list and that zero trust strategy. Exactly. And I myself use YubiKeys, you know, from Yubico and can't wait to start testing that with our AAD joint systems and be able to, you know, put it to the test, so to speak. But that brings us into that whole cloud scenario. And obviously today we're, we're dealing in a data-centric, mobile-first, cloud-enabled world, right, where there's all these technologies and such but we are also focused on what's going on there from Microsoft as far as Azure AD, uh, events threat protection, Azure information protection. What is going to happen with that whole Microsoft cloud approach when it comes to cyber? What is your plan? Because right now it seems that just trying to keep up with the day-to-day -day changes and improvements and new features and licensing models and such for MDATP, that in itself seems to be a challenge just to keep up with the velocity of how quickly you guys are improving the product, added new capabilities and features and stuff. Is there going to be 
anything from Microsoft side to try to bring all those things together in a more cohesive state than where we're at today with Azure sits here, AD protection here, um, AIP, all these different technologies. Yeah, we continually review our licensing models and schemas and structures, especially in context of security, compliance, and identity, because as you said, we're bringing rapidly bringing solutions into market to improve our customers' posture, right? And we will continue to do so, by the way, because we do want to make certain that our customers are, are secure out there. Um, so we, we recognize that there, there is at times appearances of some complexity, but just last year we introduced um, both the security bundle and a compliance bundle that were, were unique within the Microsoft 365 environment to give customers the opportunity to take advantage of those. And that was based on listening to our customers and learning what was important to them. I think the, the, the beauty of the solution and the breadth of the solution is that they do interoperate. They talk to each other. So you have threat detection and protection across the entirety of the environment from your servers, through your desktops, through your Azure storage, through your Office 365, through Azure itself, right? So the beauty is you have this breadth of solution that talks to each other and we do have to continually, you know, keep our eye on feedback we get from customers and partners related to how we're licensing those solutions. So not only are, are we building solutions that are easy to use, but we're, we're actually making it easier for the customers to consume them. And we do take that feedback to mind and I think that showed up, like I said, last year last fiscal year in the licensing models that we put together for security and compliance, particularly. Yeah. And I'm definitely a fan. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to beat up. It, it is absolutely phenomenal. The things that you guys are doing and the, the rapid pace of releases that are coming out of uh, both Redmond and Israel. And it's just phenomenal to see how these products are evolving. But at the same time, there's there's the one thing that I'm very interested in, and after hearing some of your other talks, I know you have a passion for this too, but we have a, a, a skills crisis in this country when it comes to cybersecurity and being able to have enough folks to fill the roles that are open for organizations that have these needs. And the only thing that I can think of is that we're going to have to get better about incorporating machine learning and artificial intelligence into these products to be able to help organizations do more with less, right? So what's your thoughts in that regard as far as machine learning and artificial intelligence when it applies to cybersecurity? So we are making significant investments in machine learning, not just at the individual advanced threat protection or ATP solutions you hear us talk about, but across how they speak to each other and really trying to automate as much task as possible to take the human out of that because we know you can't hire enough humans. And on the other side, use machine learning and artificial intelligence to keep the humans you do have working on high value work and to help them work smarter. And right. those the, you'll continue to see us talk about both simplification and automation, but also helping the humans work smarter, prioritize, be faster, identify malware faster, just using machine learning and, and artificial intelligence. And we're, we're, it's, it's one of the core parts of our strategy because we recognize, I think it was an ADP study, but I may be misquoting that, that I read just in Asia alone, there's about a 1.7 million person shortage today in cybersecurity. Um, and that alone tells you that, you know, there's too many job openings. So that's something, um, you know, I did my entire RSA keynote on the power of people. 
and I talked a lot about just helping people work smarter. We know the combination of machine learning, artificial intelligence, plus humans is the best outcome. So we want to keep driving towards that. And again, while automating those low-level tasks away from the humans. Absolutely. And I don't think there's a single SOC analyst out there that's going to say, you know, anything otherwise, because obviously we want to be involved in more value-driven activities, right? Let's not get dragged down in the mundane stuff that can be automated or, or at least handled by, you know, some type of uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, process automation, orchestration, whatever the case may be. But it sounds like you guys are definitely making some impact there. You did speak to the skill sets and the human elements, and that's something that I also wanted to touch base with you on. And as far as that career path, obviously you're a highly accomplished person. Uh, and I'm not even going to say that as a woman, you're just a highly accomplished person as an individual, but you're also someone who has spent 30 years in the technology industry, very much male dominated, especially in those early years, but you did so as a female and you've obviously accomplished so much in that time period. What's your secret to success? What can you share with others that are out there with an interest in technology, whether if it's cybersecurity or not, in helping them you know, develop their career path and understand what some of those challenges and struggles may be and how to overcome them, hopefully. I, th I think there's a few things, and that's, that's a really good framing, right? The first is I just have a natural curiosity. I, I have one of those minds that always wants to be learning. So the continual learning process works really well for a career in technology, and specifically in cybersecurity, because things change, as you know, at a very rapid pace. So that, that's the first thing. Yeah, that's the first thing that's helped me. But that aside, look, being tenacious, understanding who you are, developing that self-awareness of who you are, where your strengths are, where your opportunities are, continually self-evaluating. I actually reposted an article on LinkedIn today that talked about being you know, self-critical and self-aware. Um, having that self-awareness being tenacious, but then the other th word I would use, and people who describe me will use this word too, is that just being incredibly resilient, right? When you, everybody mm -hmm. fails, everybody has things they do that maybe they should have done, could have done better. Everybody makes mistakes. Maybe it was poor judgment. Maybe it was poor timing, whatever. You have to have that ability to pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, and move forward with your career and your personal life too, right? It applies across all aspects of your life and not let things get you down. Because even, you know, I would say being a woman in tech was 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 hard. Um, it was harder. You know, it's, it's certainly gotten better. It's, you know, at times it's still not great, but it certainly has gotten a lot better. Um, but just being a person in tech can be really hard because, as I said, everything changes. And when you're in security, I, I look at some incredibly talented, you know, chief security officers who have had substantial breaches in their organization. You can't control everything. And that ability to respond to a challenge, to pick yourself back up, to make certain that you're looking ahead is incredibly important. Um, whilst also balancing being self-critical and saying, what could I do more of and better and differently, right? And you have to balance all of that and you just have to kind of keep going, right? That's, um, you know, yes. you wake up every day and you have to keep going. Absolutely. And, you know, it is a constant struggle, no matter who you are, what your 
gender is, what your race is, any of that. Being in this industry, it's a daily struggle because we're always having to stay one step ahead. Back when I was in consulting, you know, it was always that kind of joke in the field or in the industry, having to stay just 15 minutes ahead of the customer, right? You always had to stay 15 minutes ahead, meaning you had to have the answer before they asked the question. And living in this world and dealing with these technologies, dealing with these threat actors, dealing with the, the threat models, it's very challenging to be able to stay up on all that, your certifications, education, and still be a, an individual, a person that has friends, families, you know, crises that come up. And it, as I understand it, you're also now uh, as a single mother. Is that correct? I have an eight. Yes, I have an 18 year old daughter. That brings into it a whole nother set of challenges. It, it just growing up in this industry and also being a mother, you know, what were some of the challenges that you ran into? Obviously you had to be a globe trotter in some of these roles, right? And taking time away from family and friends and all that. So do you care to share any of those experiences and, and maybe some wisdom with others that maybe go through the same thing? Yeah, so the first piece of wisdom I'll share with you is, you know, when you have an 18-year-old um, child, you, you learn how dumb you are. <laughs> I learn every day that I don't know anything, but that's, so you just learn to laugh it off, but, but in all seriousness. Um, look, I, um, I have, you know, I think everyone chooses a life that, that works for them. And for me, I needed to be both a career person and I, I very much wanted to be a parent, right? It was, it was a choice. Um, and I knew that doing that, there were going to be sacrifices that I wasn't going to make every, um, maybe not every play practice my child had or, but I, but I really focused on making sure I was there for the, the major events. I really focused on making sure my child knew that I was just always there and present. Even if I was remote, you know, we talked every day, we still talk every day. Um, she's living at home, going to college. And the one thing you didn't mention, and, and I'm very pretty open about it, is my daughter is also trans. So that's had its own um, interesting journey for me, right? Um, so it's just been the child, regardless of whether you work or, or you stay at home with your children, I think the most important thing for them to know is that you love them and that you're there for them and they can rely on you and they can count on you. Right. And that you do your yep, best. Absolutely. And that you're doing your best. And that I think if you ask my child, she would say that. And I'm also pretty open and honest with her about mistakes I've made. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, things I could have done differently because I think it's important for her to understand that I'm, I'm human too, because that gives her the space to make mistakes also, by the way. Um, so I would say it's been challenging. Um, it was, you know, I think it was more challenging when she was, she was younger. Um, it's obviously she's become older and more independent, you know, it, it's less challenging, but I will say this about my child. She's, she's incredibly independent. She has an incredible sense of self. Um, and I'm really, really proud of her, right? And whatever journey her life takes, um, it'll be the right journey for her because she absolutely knows who she is and what she wants. Um, <laughs> got a very strong personality. Can't imagine where she got that. I uh, can't either. <laughs> and, um, but, but at the end of the day, it is a balance. And I, I think it's a balance regardless of whether you're working, um, working at home or working outside of the home, whether you're a man or a woman. I think it's a balance for you when you have children and have a career. And only you can decide what works for your family. Absolutely. And I did purposefully let you 
bring that forward regarding your child. I too um, have a lesbian daughter, grown, 20 years old, came out when she was 13 or 14, I can't remember, but very supportive of it. You know, it, at the end of the day, I just care that my child is happy and taken care of, right? And our industry, uh, unfortunately, I, I think there's a lot of issues just that our industry seems to attract people that have a lot of things that weigh on them and it's very difficult and I see these things playing out on Twitter where there's just depression and anxiety and everything else and you know we just have such a diverse group of folks that exist in InfoSec but my heart breaks when I start to see some of the, these things playing out and you know, it just shows that, number one, I, I feel good that they're okay enough in the Twitterverse to be able to talk about these things. But at the same time, it seems like there's some serious mental health issues that exist in our particular space. And I think maybe some of the stress of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis plays into that. But I know this is one of the things that you've taken on personally within Microsoft. Um, probably due to the same challenges that I was just talking about with, you know, how we're so stressed in what we do. Do you want to talk for a minute about what you're doing in Microsoft and maybe give some inspiration to some of those that are listening about what they could do within their own organizations? Yes, I, I'm happy to. And I, I will tell you that this was everything I, I, I've done was actually there was an event that happened where we, we lost a team member um, too young. He um, he actually died. He had a heart attack, right? So, um, and when that happened, um, I had two other folks who left the organization um, and both said the same thing. They said, look, I'm not spending enough time with my family. I'm going to just completely change my work-life balance and this is what I need to do. And I was like, okay. It was a wake-up call. This was um, not, it was about 10 or 11 months ago and it was a huge wake-up call to me. I always knew that there were you know, that, that our industry is interesting, right? And cybersecurity mm -hmm. is an incredibly stressful field, right? So I made, um, I made a call right then to bring in a, some third-party folks to do resilience training, particularly for our global incident response team, because they are first responders and we don't treat them like that. If you think about what incident responders do, they get a call, it could be Sunday at 2 a.m. and suddenly they're leaving their home, they're leaving their family, they're flying halfway around the world to some remote location and they're entering an environment where they're seeing a customer. Excuse me, somebody needs to mute themselves. Please continue, and I'm sorry. That's okay. And suddenly they're entering an environment where they're seeing a customer, the customer's worst time of crisis, right? So the customer's in crisis. They've left their family at home. It's potentially a weekend, right? They're missing family events with their children. And it's incredibly a stressful job. All of that adds up in stress. So we've done a continual series of resilience training for our global incident response team. And we're making it available um, also to other members of our team and also tying in. Mike, I will tell you, the one thing about Microsoft, um, and, and we've probably don't talk about this stuff is it's an incredibly supportive environment the fact that i told you i you know my, my trans daughter the very supportive the fact that we have our employee assistance program is available to everyone and we have robust resources and we take it seriously and you know it's a company where we actually have a culture where i can actually 
foster that with my people, right? And they feel like they're respected and they're appreciated and we have very good retention. You know, global incident response teams typically turn over pretty quickly. We have very good retention on our team because we really invest in trying to get folks work-life balance. We invest in the resilience training for them. We give them all kinds of opportunities and we're just trying to treat them as both as the professional but also the human being. And we have to remember that all these folks that work for us, they are humans, they have lives outside of work, they have families, they have whatever outside of work. And we need to respect and appreciate that and treat the whole human, not just treat the employee who's a great um, reverse engineer. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, I'm just taken back for a minute, thinking about everything you're saying and the origin of that is a team member having a heart attack. Folks, you know, if you're out there and dealing with stress and have issues going on in your life, um, you know from one of my previous episodes that I came out recently with something that I've been hiding for the past three years about my physical condition and and you know it, it's one of those things where I didn't feel comfortable enough because I was afraid of the repercussions. You have to be able to create a safe environment for people to be able to feel like it's okay to say I need help. It's okay to say I'm suffering from X, Y, or Z, and it'd be all right. You know, we need to shake off that shame of what's going on with us personally and, and recognize the fact that sometimes we just need a hand, you know, and it's okay whatever you're going through, and it's okay to ask for help, and it's okay to give it too. You know, take time to to reach out to those folks or to just reach out to that person that maybe you haven't heard from in a while because you don't know what may be going on in their life. But thank you for that, Anne. So before I open it up for some Q&A, if you had to offer one piece of advice, maybe one thing that organizations could do that involves Microsoft, to help protect and defend their organization, what would that be? Use MFA, use multi-factor authentication. <laughs> okay. The same advice I give everyone. <laughs> now, that's kind of a broad stroke though, right? So multi-factor authentication, that could mean a lot of things depending on what you're using. So is there a specific recommendation? Now, we made the announce or talked about the announcement with FIDO2. Now that is in preview mode right now, but are there some two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication options available for Microsoft right now? Let's say just for the general user even. So there's a couple things. One, we have Windows Hello for Business. Um, that's a great, that's what we use by the way internally. It's a great biometric authentication scheme. You have the Azure Authenticator that's available on most mobile devices. I think for pretty much every standard platform that you could think would be using um, the Azure Authenticator. We also, um, you know, we support both FIDO, we support FIDO and now FIDO2 devices. But I'm going to tell you this, Duncan, I'll take my Microsoft hat off for one half second. I Ooh. candidly almost don't care what multi-factor authentication scheme you use as long as you stop using passwords. Now, I prefer it to you to be one of ours and be fully integrated, but at the end of the day, the one thing that customers could do to make themselves more secure is to have 100% of their employees using something other than passwords for authentication. Agreed. However, because we know that's going to be a slow process, right? It's not going to be an overnight thing. People are not going to 
give up 30 years of tradition and in embedded applications and everything else. So with that, knowing that, at least if you are going to continue down the password road or have to for interim purposes, make sure that you're using strong passwords, a password manager, you know, pass phrases even, which go even further in the complication scheme for entropy. But at the end of the day, yes, I think we are starting to see that light at the end of the tunnel where passwords will be a thing of the past. And it's something that I am looking forward to. So with that, we only have a couple minutes here. So I am going to open it up and you're okay still to be able to take a few questions maybe? I am, I have it just, a, yeah, we have about five more minutes, five to seven minutes, so we're good. All right, great. So with that, if you do have a question for Anne, feel free at this moment to go ahead, unmute your line, politely ask, and make sure we're not stomping on each other. Get those questions out there. Also, if you just wanna make comment to Anne about Microsoft, her appearance here, give her some kudos, that's welcomed as well. So I have kind of a, a random question here, but when I started out in tech, one of the pieces of advice I was always given is don't let people know you're a single mom because that will hold your career back. They'll use that against you and you won't get the promotions. Do you think that's a thing of the past or is that some advice that should still be given to people? Uh, wow. Um, <laughs> look, I, I would not give that advice. To start, let, let me start by saying um, during the interview process in, in most states, um, people can't ask those questions anyway, right? But, um, and I don't think it's candidly, I think that balancing your life is your business, not your employer's business. Um, so to the extent you feel comfortable providing somebody proactively that information, then, then do so. But I also don't think it's something you should do. I, here's what I would say. I would say you should put yourself in a work environment that you feel is supportive of your life. And if you don't feel your employer has the means to be supportive of whatever your life situation is, including being a single parent, then you shouldn't put yourself in that environment. Does that, I, I know that's not the most helpful advice, but I will tell you that I, I would never give someone the advice not to tell people that. I would give them the advice to make sure they're in an environment that is actually supportive of them. Yeah, yeah. that's great advice. Thank you. Yeah, I, 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 don't have anything from an experience perspective to add to that, but it seems like to me, if that were part of something that I'm having to hide from an organization, then maybe I need to find another organization to work for. Um, that's just unbelievable that that would be a consideration. So with that, any other questions for Anne? Carol, do we have anything in chat that I've missed? All right then, with that, and I want to thank you so much for coming on this evening and having this dialogue with us. It is so much appreciated. Um, give you an opportunity, is, is there anything that you're involved in, anything that you're doing that you would like to give a shout out to? Yeah, there's, there's two things actually. We do a lot of work in the US with the security, um, Advisor Alliance. Um, I think you may may or may not be familiar with it, but we do hackathons um, throughout the U.S. at in economically disadvantaged schools from seventh grade to twelfth grade to try to get kids interested in cybersecurity careers. It's an awesome. incredible, yeah, it's an incredible organization. And the other thing is, um, I always like to talk about Microsoft's um, transitioning. Um, 
skills program for transitioning U.S. Uh, military, active duty military members through our MSSA program. We do have a cybersecurity track, so it's something, um, folks, that if you're looking to transition from your military career, um, we love uh, bringing veterans on board. I have a lot, I have several, uh, many, I would say at this point on the Global Incident Response Team. So for those two, how can they get more information? Um, for the Security Advisor Alliance um, is online, and I'm going to, since we have a second, let me just look because I have to find their uh, Twitter account here real quick, and I'll tell you. <laughs> it's okay, but it's Security Advisor Alliance. I'm, I'm sure our folks are able to uh, Google dork that pretty easily. And then the other one where they're doing the hackathons for the junior and high school kids? That, that's Security Advisor Alliance. And then we have the oh, mic okay. Then we have what's called MSSA, and that is on Microsoft's website. So Microsoft's Software and, and Services Academy. Okay, and that's MSSA. for the transitioning military. Correct. Excellent. That's fantastic. I, I love seeing organizations that try to take our prior military into cybersecurity. Obviously, with us being very close to the San Antonio area, we see a lot of that going on here just because of the military uh, base here. So fantastic. Okay. Like well, somebody, I'm sorry, Duncan. It looks like somebody put both the links in the chat window. Uh, Michelle Foley put the security advisor lines and Ryan Macabat put MSSA in there. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. And we will grab those and make sure that we include them in the show notes with this episode. Excellent. Okay. With the, that, thank you so much for coming on. We do appreciate it. We are out of time. So I'm going to go ahead and let you go. I have a couple of show notes just for those that are still listening. Coming up next week, we will be joined by the one and only Troy Hunt of Have I Been Pwned. He will be joining us all the way from Sydney, Australia. After that, uh, dealing with some of the uh, security issues that we're going to be talking about, obviously, with Troy Hunt, with data breaches and personal information protection, all those kinds of things. The following week, I will be joined by the director of the documentary film, The Creepy Line, Mr. M.A. Taylor will be joining us. So you have a couple weeks. If you'd like to, go ahead and watch that. You can catch it on iTunes or Amazon Prime Video. Again, the title the creepy line and it's essentially a documentary film talking about facebook google and some of the uh, security issues that we may need to be alerted to there so with that again i want to thank ann johnson for joining us this evening and our sponsor avanti for their support and this is duncan macklin infosec war signing out thank you for joining us Thank you for joining us on this episode of Cyber Speaks Live. Remember to visit our blog at cyberspeaks.com to sign up for our newsletter of upcoming episodes and special guest co-hosts. If you'd like to be a guest co-host or sponsor the show, please email us at speakup at cyberspeaks.com. That's all for this week. And as always, stay safe and secure out there.